everybody. It's Mike Golay again. Thanks for tuning in to podcast number two in the MikeGolay.com podcast series. If you need to backtrack uh, to episode one, uh, please feel free to do that. You can get all kinds of info on, on the stuff I'm talking about uh, in this podcast series at MikeGolay.com. So be sure to visit their information on my records, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, junk uh, and feel free to email me at podcast at mikegolay.com. I've had a, a number of uh, emails from folks, and I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time to write. And uh, if you have any questions, fire away. Um, I'm hoping at some point in the future to do a Q&A podcast. I've had a lot of questions about um, technical stuff, recording setup, uh, those sorts of things. And I'm, I'm happy to answer your questions and I'll probably devote an episode just to doing that for, for all you gearheads out there. It's nice to know I'm not the only one. have a little bit of time on my hands due to a kind of unfortunate event. I have managed to more or less blow out my shoulder. As far as I know, I, I injured my, my rotator cuff about five years ago while I was ice climbing. And, you know, at semi-regular intervals each year, I've had some little shoulder event where, you know, the pain would flare up and I'd lose use of my arm for a few days. But it was fairly manageable with either over-the-counter or prescription pharmaceuticals, but uh, this last Thursday night, it, I was in the studio um, doing some level setting, and my left shoulder started uh, twinging, and, and I, I, knew what, I, I knew the feeling, and I could tell something was not good, and it just got worse and worse, and it's been, it's been pr- as bad as it's ever been. Uh, for the last four days, uh, which is extremely bad timing because today um, is September 18th. It's a Monday, and uh, my plans were to go into the studio today and uh, start recording my third album. Even holding a, a, a guitar right now is is uh, at best laughable. Showering is is uh, sort of an expedition uh, and exercise and pain management. So uh, I've had to put recording on hold. Uh, hopefully not for too terribly long. Um, I do want to thank um, the word already got out this morning that this was kind of kind of going on, and I want to thank uh, everybody for your emails and for. Um, you know, your concern and your suggestions. I've heard from a lot of folks who have had rotator cuff injuries and surgery and rehab and, and all kinds of, th- kinds of things. So that's all been helpful and appreciated. I, I go see a doctor tomorrow. So uh, hopefully uh, everything will work out okay and, uh, and I'll be back at playing uh, soon enough.
So uh, I, I'll go ahead and move forward since, you know, like I said, I have a little time on my hands. Um, I, w- one bit of feedback that I got from a few people on the first podcast was that, was that it was a little long, and I do realize that. The first podcast, I was talking about my first record, which is called Half Pint, and my, my plan was to go ahead and talk about my second record, um, which is called Across the Bridge, which came out in uh, 2005. But I think what I'll do, um, just to kind of keep things at a kind of more manageable duration of time, is I'm, I'm going to break up the commentary on the new re- on the second record into a few different episodes. So um, this will be the first in, in a few parts dedicated to Across the Bridge. After I did the first record, uh, I, I got out, I played live uh, quite a little bit, as much as I could. Um, got some really good feedback from a lot of people, um, met some really nice people, and um, musicians and, and fans and, and so forth, and was really digging it. And it, pretty much immediately I started th- thinking of doing a, a, another record. The whole process of putting something out there and, and kind of supporting it live um, was, was really fun and, and gratifying. So, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to do it again. So I started writing uh, some tunes. I, I knew that I wanted to do certain things stylistically that I maybe either couldn't do or didn't get around to doing on the first record. So, so I had a, a lot of different things in mind. But life had other ideas, as life tends to do, um, as, you know, life is having other ideas about my recording right now, in fact. I had uh, kind of one thing in my personal life happen after another uh, for what seemed like a span of forever, but it was really probably about a year and a half, and I just I had to back burner guitar um, pretty much as soon as my record, my first record, came out. And I, I I did get to a point where I wasn't sure if I was gonna play anymore. Um, just because I had such kind of chaos going on in, in my life, but things settled down as they do, and uh, and I got back to the guitar, um, and I you know I was I was happy to find it again. biggest things, if not the biggest thing to happen to me ever in my life, really, um, is that after these kind of personal episodes happened, I reconnected with an old friend uh, who I had met in New York years and years before. And uh, it was a very good thing. Um, Probably, well, certainly uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me. We met uh, in 1995, I think. She was living in Manhattan at that time. I was living in Brooklyn. And uh, we kind of hung out for about six months, and then we both got busy. Uh, She started traveling the world. I moved, and we lost touch with one another. But, uh, you know, when we we reconnected after all those years, it was probably eight or nine years um, afterwards. um, It was like, you know, just picking up where we left off. ¶¶ 
time she was living in Maine I was living in DC we finally saw one another uh, again after all those years and uh, figured out pretty quickly that we needed to do something about this stretch of land that was between us so um, we uh, we lived apart for a year and did the long distance thing in December of 2003 we went back to the old neighborhood together in New York we had uh, a lunch at the River Cafe in Brooklyn uh, and after that lunch, we took a walk together across the Brooklyn Bridge, and um, I uh, stopped her at one point on the bridge and got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. to the story is that she didn't do a Saturday night fever. She did say yes. And that was that. It was pretty cool. Um, the Brooklyn Bridge always kind of represented something to me with respect to, to she and my relationship, um, her living in, again in Manhattan, I living in Brooklyn, and it being kind of the structure that connected those two boroughs. Um, it's always meant a lot to me. So um, that's why the Brooklyn Bridge uh, plays such a, a prominent visual part on the record. It's in, it's in many of the photographs that are on the record. So we, uh, as I said, we were engaged. Uh, we were still living apart at that time, but I managed to, um, to move up to Maine. We, we were finally able to be together full time, and, and we were married uh, in May of uh, 2005, which was uh, the best thing, like I said, that's ever happened to me. Before uh, we tied the knot is is when I did the majority of the session work for the record. I had finally carved out the time to, to record. I had been writing some of the tunes. I'd actually uh, been ready to record the, the in the fall of 2004, but yet again I had, I can't even remember now what happened, but I, I had it some sort of technical issue, I think, um, and wasn't able to record, so I, you know, I had to wait. Having had to do this uh, several times <laughs> in trying to record, trying to get into the studio and get a project done, I, I'm beginning to realize, you know, things work out. And having to wait, you know, eight or nine years um, to marry the woman that I love, I figure out, you know, th things things work out with time. So, so uh, I'm a believer in time. So things will work out. Speaking of time, I did make the time to record the record, but I, I had a very short time period in which to record. I budgeted a week to do the sessions, and practically speaking, um, the sessions for Across the Bridge, at least the vast majority of them, 
Um, we're done in three days of recording. I tend to work best during daylight hours, and I tend I tend to do my tracking between 10 and 12 and 2 and 4. So somewhere in three days, in the course of, uh, what, four hours a day, I got the record mostly done. I got 15 tunes in those three days. I didn't worry about playing perfectly. Uh, there's lots of stuff on the record that I could have gone back and fixed, but that just wasn't important to me on this one. I, I It was much more important for me to finish the record, um, to have, ri- have written tunes that really meant something to me, and to kind of document what had really been uh, three years of my life. did uh, do two more days of sessions uh, in the next, I guess it was about a month and a half or so. Um, I did about a week after I finished the sessions, and I think it was days before I got married, before I had to head down and 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 do the whole wedding thing. Um, I did a slide tune um, called Between the Rains, um, which I'll talk about uh, a little bit in uh, a forthcoming podcast episode. Um, and then we went away after I was after we got married uh, to Kauai for for our honeymoon. And while there, I picked up a baritone ukulele and wrote two tunes and came back and and recorded those in a day as well. So um, in total, I have 18 tunes on the on the record, which was it's a lot of tunes, but it was a lot of fun too. The central theme of the record is is you know basically just a celebration of my relationship with my wife. You know there there are a few tunes on there that aren't wholly about her or us, but almost all of them ha- are, are kind of grounded and rooted in in our relationship. And a year or so before I started writing the the tunes on the record, I I hadn't set out to write a big mushy mash note, but I guess it sort of ended up like that. But that's okay. I got the blonde. I win. sub-theme in, in the record is travel. A lot of these tunes, I'm looking at the liner notes now, were written in, in really disparate areas uh, of the world. I think some of them were written in New York, a few were written in, in Maine, uh, a couple, like I said, were written in Hawaii. A number of the tunes on the record came together on a trip to the south of France uh, that my wife and I took in the fall of 2004. Um, I would say, you know, probably the majority of the tunes from a composition standpoint kind of came together on that trip. Another tune, I think I was written out in Big Sur. Um, one was in Philly, just sort of all over the place, which is kind of cool. If you look at the record, which, you know, 
I hope you do. Uh, you can certainly buy it and take a look. Uh, if you look inside the liner notes, there are a bunch of postcards, photographs that, that are basically postcards from the places that, that we traveled over the last three years um, and where these tunes were, were written. before in interviews that I've done that um, one of the challenges in playing solo guitar uh, for people is that there are no lyrics. Um, So, you know, it's, it it, it can sometimes be a challenge to, to get, to convey ideas and convey thoughts to the audience when you're just playing a guitar for two hours. So one of my tactics to deal with that is, is to kind of write stories behind these tunes. And usually they're not tall tales. Usually they're the, genesis of a tune for me is based on some experience I've had. And I try to include some of that in the liner notes um, that I write for my records to kind of explain where the tunes came from. And when I play live, I I try to talk about the tunes um, genesis a little bit. Um, So people have some sort of reference point. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to yammer. going to get too technical in my discussion of, of recording this re- this uh, record, but I, I will mention that one significant thing that I did in the recording process would, was that I completely overhauled my recording chain versus what I had used for half pint. For half pint, I used a couple of mismatched condenser mics into a Mackie VLZ-1202 mixer, which is what I use for mic prees. And I also mentioned in the last podcast that I, I used uh, a little bit of pickup, so that went into the into the mixer as well. The mixer went out uh, via, uh, trying to remember this, RCA, I think, into a fairly low-end USB A to D device. And I recorded at 44.1 16-bit, which is basically the same, well, not basically, it is the same sample rate that you get with with a CD. It worked. I think a lot of the sound that you hear on that first record is really, has much more to do with the mixing process. We used, I, I didn't mention this in the last podcast, but Scott used uh, some Neve 1066 um, tube preamps um, that we ran the mix through, which warmed things up considerably, I think, um, which was a good decision. I, I, I liked I liked the sound of, of those. But I was I was pretty determined with, with the new record to, to have a better sound overall. So I went with a stereo match pair of small condensers uh, made by a company called Microtech Gefell. Um, I used uh, the M300 pair. Um, those went into a, a Great River uh, Mic Pre, and I've, I'm sorry, I forget the model number, but it's, it's the two-channel uh, model number, and it's the older one. It's not the new one with the, the Neve Pre's in it. That went into a PreSonus FirePod, and the sample rate is 88.2, 
at 24-bit. Just a real quick note about sampling rate and resolution. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, CDs are are at a sampling rate of 44.1 and are at 16-bit. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion among various folks, you know, about what sampling rate to to record at, um, what bit rate. Uh, to record at. And I personally, I think recording at 88 to 24-bit, I can hear the difference. I can hear the difference, even though on the CD it still gets munched down to 44.1 16-bit. Um, and my my whole kind of theory on why to do this is I think if you can catch a greater depth in the source recording, you have just more to deal with before you downsample everything to 44.1. There are people who say that they hear no difference between uh, a, a record recorded at any sampling rate higher than 44.1. I personally think I can, um, and I know other engineers and, and players who also think that they can. Um, I think where it gets a lot more gray is, is um, going above 96 into like you know 192 territory and above i can't hear any difference and i can't find too many people who say that they can you also get really huge files when you start recording um at much higher sample rates uh and you know it's questionable what kind of benefit is really there but I do think there's a difference between 44.1 and 88.2, and I would encourage people, if you can, um, if your equipment will let you record at a higher bit rate or higher sampling and bit rate, try it. If you listen really critically, I think you'll hear the difference in the source recordings. So overall, I I would say, to me, listening to the two records, the sound is night and day. It was, to begin with, a much better recorded sound, in my opinion. I should also mention that I had a custom guitar by a guy named David at Berkowitz Guitars in Washington, D.C. That's the primary six-string on, on the record. And I just think, overall, the sound quality was, was much better. And I kind of, you know, I had figured out some miking techniques. I worked in a small room with wood floors, similar to the first room that I used, but it was a little smaller, um, and I just, I just thought the sound was was really nice in there. Um, so, kind of from soup to nuts, it was it was a much better setup versus the first record. contributor I think to um, the improvement in the sound was working with Al Petaway um, in the mix and uh, production process. Al in addition to being an amazing guitarist himself is also an incredibly talented producer. He's recorded a number of great guitarists and acoustic musicians at his studio. I was not fortunate enough to record in his studio but I did ask Al to to do the mixing and, and he, he was interested in doing it and I'm incredibly fortunate to have to have worked with him. Al's like Yoda with the controls. He just gets it. I've never seen anybody work so fast in editing and uh, just making things sound great. We ran everything through Al's Lexicon reverb unit, which I think the reverb on the record just sounds great. It's exactly what I was looking for. And and that's the thing with working with somebody like Al is he's played a very long time and he knows what a good guitar sound sounds like. And he helped me tremendously in, in kind of realizing the sound that I was after. So thanks very much, Al. You're the man.
had a very short period of time to, to mix the record. We had a day and a half, essentially, and we got through it just fine. That was great. It was like a total Vulcan mind meld happening. I did ask Al to play on a few tracks, and again, he said he would, which was a good thing. Two of the tracks he plays uh, guitar. One of those tracks, he actually plays guitar twice. He plays guitar, and then he plays this kind of hybrid bass guitar guitar thing, um, which is really cool. drum track on uh, two other tunes. Yes, I have one of the world's greatest guitarists on my record, and I asked him to play drums. Right. I'm a smart man. Being a former drummer, I could have done the drum tracking, but having somebody else play percussion on tunes that you've played on a melodic instrument, I think is a good idea, because you have all these kind of preconceived notions in your head about the rhythms that should be happening behind a tune. What you, what you end up playing rhythmically is too similar to what you've played melodically because it's all coming from you. So I think it's a good idea to, to, to kind of get a second opinion. And um, I was real interested in having Al play. Um, Al's a drummer as well as, as being a guitarist and um, he's played drums you know, in past lives as well. So it was a, a kind of a no-brainer to ask him to do the tracking. We had thought about using drums, but Al had the idea to actually play the percussion parts on the the body of the guitar, which is a, a fairly common thing to do uh, among kind of new generation guitarists is to kind of slap the guitars and play them uh, kind of like a drum, play them rhythmically, either while you're playing regular guitar or otherwise. So this was not a new concept to me or Al, but Al thought it would work uh, really well with the tunes and, and I thought it did. that he played that kind of what we call the a git drum the parts that he plays drive um, the music along quite well i think al tracked the drum uh, tracks while i was down at his studio and actually did the guitar work after i'd left we sat up on his couch and played through the two tunes that i asked him to play guitar on i gave him a few very very minor suggestions and just said take it from there when you have time the stuff that he came up with um, was just absolutely beautiful and, and fit the tunes perfectly. And, and I knew they would because that's just the kind of guy Al is.
It was uh, probably a month or a month and a half after we did the mix that, that Al finished everything up. He sent uh, everything to me for approval. I listened to it once. We made, I think, maybe two very minor tweaks. I think one tune, I, I thought there was a little bit too much reverb and we backed that off. And there might have been one other really minor fix. And that was it. The mixing couldn't have gone any easier, I don't think. Um, and from there, I turned the record over to Bill Wolf at Wolf Productions in Virginia. Bill has done umpteen bazillion acoustic records. He is the guy in, in the mastering world for acoustic music. And, um, you know, a guy like that, you, you don't really give him any instruction with your record. You just give it to him and say, you know, do the thing that you know to do. And the only question that Bill had for me um, was, how loud do you want it? There's a big debate kind of, which has been raging for a few years in the, in the mastering community on how loud to make a record. It really kind of comes from radio. Albums over the last 10, 15 years have been mastered at higher and higher volume levels because ads in between tunes on the radio have become louder and louder. Because if somebody talks really loud to you, you're going to pay attention. And that's what uh, the ad producers started doing. So record producers and, and mastering houses figured out, well, if we make our records sound a little louder, people will listen to them closer. You know, it was kind of a sort of dueling banjos kind of deal on radio. You know, the ad would be super loud and then, you know, the, the tune would come on afterwards and it wasn't quite as loud and people would kind of turn their radio up and down in volume, you know, and, and the same thing happens on TV. And, you know, it's I find it really annoying. But the trend has been over the last, you know, several years to make records louder and louder. And if you listen to older records, you know, 10, 15 years ago on, on your stereo, whether it's pop or jazz or, or, or you name it, you'll know what I mean. Um, the older records are just softer. The whole making stuff louder in the mastering process is generally done with a technique called compression. The more you compress something, you can make it louder, but the dynamics begin to be lost. You can compress a, a piece of music so much that the dynamics are just gone. And that's that was kind of the last thing that I wanted. So my request of Bill was to make it loud enough, but not too loud. So uh, with that stellar uh, feedback, uh, Bill got it exactly right. Thanks very much, Bill. Just to backtrack, uh, in terms of time, I, I did the record in five days, um, the recording of the record in five days. Um, started in late April, got married, went on honeymoon, finished up in early June. Al and I started mixing, I think in late June. Um, Al was done um, with his bit in July, and Bill started mastering in, in August, and the record came out on uh, the 1st of November in 2005. It's been very well received. I've gotten lots of really nice reviews. Um, I started playing live quite a bit again um, after the record came out, which has been a ton of fun. Met a lot of people, sold a lot of records to a lot of uh, really nice folks. And I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's been uh, a, a great experience making a record that's that's as personal as this one is to me and and putting it out there and having people really respond favorably to it it's been great 
Shortly after uh, the record came out, I, I also was contacted by Candy Rat Records. Um, you can visit them at candyrat.com. Uh, a number of phenomenal guitarists um, are on this label, and uh, I was offered a, a place in the artist community there. So, so um, I took Rob at Candy Rat up on that. So I'm attached to that label. You should definitely check them out if uh, if you like guitar music. think I'll wrap up uh, episode two. As I mentioned, I'll be dedicating a few more podcasts to this record, uh, kind of taking you through some of the tunes, um, talking about the composition and kind of the, some of the stories behind the tunes. And uh, I do really want to thank everyone for uh, for writing in and, and for your feedback. Please keep it coming. Remember that you can uh, visit me anytime you please at mikegolay.com. My records are available in old school CD format as well as uh, digital formats. They're available through lots of different distributors, including iTunes, and you can get all that information on mikegolay.com. Feel free to email me at podcast at mikegolay.com uh, with any questions or suggestions. And uh, thanks again. I'll talk to you again soon. And uh, thanks again for all the well wishes about the shoulder. Uh, Hopefully I'll get it together soon. Mm